All right, so we're in this series, and some of you might be here for the very first time, or you haven't been here for a little while, so you're, you're like, wow, how to have a great funeral. Really, Doug? Yep, that's the name of the series. We started with a message called Good to Go. That message is all about each of us being ready to die, because we said that we're all going to, we're pretty sure, and we just don't know when the timing's going to be on that whole thing and what the circumstances are going to be, but we're pretty sure that, hey, the truth is at any moment. The weekend we gave that message, um, a, a person who used to attend us with Crosswinds when we started actually was crossing the road on 2nd Street and got hit by a car and died. And it was like, oh, it's good to go. And I know she's good to go. So, I, I mean, we're not okay with it. But she was good to go. We want that for, 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 for everybody. It's not a death wish or anything. The next week we talked about good to be gone. This was last week. And this is different because it's not about us being good to go. It's, it's when we go, will people behind us be okay that we're gone? And believe it or not, the person who's going has a lot to do with how people are going to be after we're gone, right? And so we talked about some, some things at a spiritual level. We talked about some things at a very practical level. We introduced this practical thing called a legacy box. Do you remember that last week? And I gave you a card by way of extras with everything that's going to a legacy box. A legacy box is this. If I die and Lori, was, Lori looks in the box, she'll find everything she needs. If we both pass away, my kids will find everything they need inside this legacy box. And so there's a list of things that should go in there. Um, and you know, so if you didn't get that, grab one. It's very, very practical. On the back side are some questions and conversations that will help you prepare your family for you to be gone, right? Now, last week somebody said, you know, Doug, we, we have a legacy box, but we got a different name for it. And I go, really, what do you call it? They go, it's the bye-bye box. It's like, <laughs> bye-bye box. I like that. It's, it's, it's really good. It should be, I'll see you soon box, um, whatever you want to call it. The other thing that I heard back from more than one person was the idea that, Doug, I'm feeling a little concerned because those papers you're putting in there are really vital papers and our passwords and everything is in that. And if a thief came in, or one of my kids decided to try to get a premature gift. Um, they could get into the box and everything is handy. And, I, and, I, and so the thought is, and this is what Lori and I do, we have a safe, a fireproof box with a secret combination um, that we have to figure out where we're going to give one other person that combination to, to make it work. But that's, you got to figure it out. You know, this isn't meant to be everything is done for you, but, but figure out these things. The main idea is, have you figured out how to, Make it so when you leave, it's the easiest on everybody else possible. Believe me, they'll be going through enough things. And then, um, like I said, we had cards that you can grab one of those. I also got some funeral feedback, which is interesting. People coming up to me and saying, so Doug, when I die, here's what I want. Like I'm going to remember. But I did like the optimism of me outliving you. That's nice, <laughs> right? But the, the, the feedback was, some, one person said, you know, I, when I die, I want loud music playing at my funeral, upbeat, happy music. I want to put the fun back in funeral, right? That was kind of their, the spirit about that whole thing. And then other people, another person said, you know what I want? I want pizza for everybody following the service. And I think those are great ideas. In fact, one of the things that's going through my mind right now, and I'm not ready to pull the trigger on it, but maybe I should create some kind of sheet that says, hey, here's how to plan some ideas for your, for your funeral. You fill it out, give it back to us. We keep a file on you. <laughs> at church and when you're when you pass away your family comes and i go well i got a file right here this is what they want anchovy pizzas for everybody that's what we're gonna have lutefisk and anchovy pizza all right so so think i mean what i liked about all that was hey people are thinking 
People are engaging. People are, I hope you're actually preparing. By the way, isn't this the hardest one to prepare for? Somebody said to me this week, you know, we've thought about, we, we've known we should, should do this. We've known, the, it's not like we've got new information here. I go, well, how are you doing at it? We haven't done a thing for years. We have not prepared. And, I, and I'm feeling guilty. I go, oh, you'll get over the guilt. Just wait for it to go by. It'll be fine. No, you got to do something and, and take that step. So that was good to be gone. So today, part three is going to be a little bit shift, right? Not so, not so funeral-oriented, um, death-oriented. Here's the, the name of the message. It's not how I die. It's not how I die that matters, right? I'm going to show you some faces of people, and I'm, you can play the game with me. You're going to tell me who it is and what they're famous for. Before we start, I'm going to just warn those of you who are maybe 30 and under, you may not know a single one of them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry for you. You missed out on a great part of the world's history, but here we go. Who's this? Jerry Van Dyke. Someone say, and what's he famous for? Being Victor Van, Van Dyke's brother. Exactly. <laughs> and he happened to be in a couple of his own shows, like Coach. You might remember the show Coach, right? Dick Van Dyke's brother and Coach. Who's this? Okay, even the younger people know that one, right? What's he famous for? Yeah, worldwide evangelist. He might have re- he might have given the gospel, presented the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to more people on the face of this planet than anyone who's ever lived. Uh, now, I think that'll be outdone someday because our technology is getting better and better and we're getting louder and louder. Who's this? Yeah, one side. Who's the other? Same person. <laughs> Frank, I know you wouldn't know his name, Frank Evruch. And, and you're right, he's famous for clowning around, Bozo. Who's this? Barbara Smith. No, Barbara Bush. The other one, Barbara, right. So that's Barbara Bush. She's famous for? Being the first lady of the United States, who's this? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Trudy's mom. Yeah. So Charlotte Ray, I know you didn't know her name. The facts of life, and one of the kids was named. There you go. Here's one. You don't know who it is. Kurt Kaiser, does that help you? Not a bit, right? Composer of Pass It On. Right? Composer of Pass It On. Who's this? Stan Lee. You know, the whole time, the nerds are quiet. And then I put up a picture of Stan Lee, and it's like, Stan Lee! Okay, Matt, what's Stan Lee all about? Right, he's the creator of the universe. Marvel, right? That's Stan Lee. What do all those people have in common? They're dead. And they're not just dead, but on their gravestone, they all have the same year of death. 2018. Every single one of them died this year. All of them had accomplishments. All of them probably passed away with a certain amount of wealth. There's just no getting around. Even Billy probably had some wealth, right? So my question is, do you think they had great funerals? I don't know. I think some of them very, very likely had great funerals. And I think it's also very likely some of them had really bad funerals. Right? Because great funerals, we've said this from the beginning, are not created by the venue 
by the number of people that attend or how famous you were, by the flowers that are there, how pretty everything is. They're not created or generated by spending a lot of money on the funeral or having a lot of money in your, in your life. They're not generated because you have all kinds of accomplishments and all kinds of skills that you did in your life. You started this company, you sang that song, you were famous for this, you find the cure for cancer. Those things won't create a great funeral. Great funerals include three markers we've said throughout this entire series. Grief with hope. If you don't have hope in the midst of the grief, it cannot be a great funeral. And that was last week's message. It's what the biggest gift we want to give our loved ones when we are good, and when we're gone and they're supposed to be good, right? Good to be gone is a place to go for hope, for them knowing what our hope is. Gratitude towards God, which is like they understand that every person is a gift from God, and that's celebrated, uh, not just the person, but, but God who created the person is being celebrated, and appreciation for a well-lived life, right? And I promise you, if, if we don't live our lives well, no matter what, we, we say we love Jesus, we go to church, all this stuff, when we are gone, they might just be good, Right? I mean, the, the, there won't be any grief because we didn't live that well anyway. We didn't love that well. We didn't, And that's what today is going to be about. Because none of those things can be generated after we die. Those three things cannot be generated after we die. We can't put, hey, give me a great funeral in our wills. Not the way we're defining great. You can say, give me a big funeral, give me a fancy funeral, I want these kind of flowers at my funeral, I want people to have pizza, I want loud music. You can do all of that kind of stuff, but you cannot make your funeral truly great. Not on that side. It's on this side, it's now, it's today, it's during these lives that we can bring grief, that we can, that we can give hope to go with the grief, that we can express and connect people to God, and that we can live well and all of that flows from our lives and never comes out of our death. So it's not how I die, it's how I live. And that's what I want to talk about today because this is actually at the very core of Jesus' teaching is this, it's how we live. The defining issue about how we live our lives is for all of us what drives our lives. What is it we're really seeking? What is it we're really chasing? What really, what's our dream? What pursues us? How do we view this world and, and, and our lives? What I live for, what drives my life, will be crystal clear to those who are close to me when I pass away. Right? When, when people who really know me, I mean, I can do a little bit of a facade if I want to on stage. I, I try to be as transparent as possible, but the, you don't know. But I promise you my kids know. I promise you my, my wife knows, my family knows, my closest friends know. They know exactly what, even if I don't know, they know. Isn't that amazing? Even if I don't know what drives my life, they know. And what I want to tell you from the very beginning is, whatever is driving your life, at the end of today, if you go, I don't like what's driving my life, it can change. You're not stuck with it. Whatever it is that's, that's putting fuel in your tank, that you're driving and going as fast as you can for, chasing, pursuing, seeking, you can change it. And I say that because I've changed mine. Right now, let me take you to, I said that Jesus talked about this. Let me take you to one of the places he talked about it. He's giving a sermon on a hillside to would-be followers. In fact, that's actually on the top of a hill, one of the coolest places on the planet. But let me just show you what he said to them. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. What's he saying? Well, at first glance, he's saying, hey, don't be all about money. But it's something much bigger than that. Money is just the, the illustration, or things are just the illustration. Things that won't last is what he's saying. Whatever it is, don't store up those kind of treasures. Instead, store up treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and, and steal. Things that will never fade away, things that are untouchable and can't be ruined. And there's the part I want you to catch. Wherever your treasure is, whatever's driving you is what that means. The des- there the desires of your hearts will also be. Whatever it is you're seeking, your heart's going to follow. It will define you. It will become the thing that everybody knows. They may not talk about it at your funeral, but everybody knows it. Everybody goes, this is the essential. This is the heart of that person. The treasure and the heart are where the drivers come from. So my grandfather was at first a professional logger, right? He inherited the business, never liked it, did well at it. Um, he made the old-fashioned 1,800 hoops for barrels, right? The, the wood for and, and the barrels for storing different things in. That was what he did, and, and phenomenally good at it. But when he got to about 45, 50 years old, he quit. He made enough money that he thought it was good for the rest of his life. He didn't, but he thought he was. And he became a professional photographer. He actually, uh, not, not like candid photography, like he did portraits. And he would make these big portraits, and he would paint them with a paintbrush afterwards. Not with paint, but with chemicals to bring out highlights and lowlights. It was black and white. For phenomenal photography for the day. He won all kinds of awards but we don't really care because it's in Canada and it's easy to win awards in Canada. There's just not that many people. <laughs> so my grandfather was, had, a, had a sitting one day where a man came in, and this was, my grandfather had a studio in his house, and you'd sit on this chair, because I had sat on it quite a few times, so I know, you'd sit on the chair, and you'd wait for him. He had his, his big box, and he had his, his lights, and he'd get everything just right. He's talking to you, and as he's talking to this man, in his hand he has this cable with the little, you know, Take the picture, the, the, the button, right? It's not like today where you could probably do a remote control kind of thing. So he had this cable, and he's talking to the guy, and he's got it casually by his side, and the guy is talking about his business. He's very, very wealthy. And he starts talking about all these business deals and how much money he made in this last year. My grandfather had everything set up, and this guy's going on and on about all this wealth he's accumulating, bragging it up. And my grandfather goes, keep talking. The price is going up all the time. <laughs> and in that heartbeat of an uncontrolled reaction to what my grandfather said, click. Right? So later, his wife and he came back in to see the picture, that the, the, the portrait. And his wife saw this picture that was the click after my grandfather threatened the man's wealth. <laughs> right? And she didn't know the context. And she looked at it and she goes, that is so you. This is the best picture I've ever seen of you. (laughs) Why is that? It's because the core of who he was couldn't be hidden for a moment. And it it came upon his face. You cannot hide what you were ultimately all about. You cannot hide. And I don't know what he wanted to, what, what was driving. And when his passion was threatened just a little bit, you know, a little bit, a little more money for the picture, it came on his face. And it was so him you know one of the questions you can ask yourself is when would people say that's so you what would they see in your life in your face because that will give a little picture of maybe what's 
what's driving or at least what the, the dri- different drivers are in your life. Now, here's my problem when it comes to this driving thing. That I know what I want it to be, right? Don't You kind of probably kind of do. Many of you in church do anyway. You know the right answer, right? It's not a squirrel. It's Jesus, right? That's a joke. The problem is my, my heart is a battleground. There's a war taking place inside of me, and it's not just me. It's everybody, right? And, and, and so when Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, in chapter 5, he writes this very articulate description of the battle that's taking place. We usually only focus on the second half of it. I want to focus on the whole thing this morning just a little bit. Now, here's what you need to remember. Paul was a Christian, follower of Jesus. You knew that. He was writing to a church, so he's writing, he wasn't writing to people who weren't following God. He was writing to people who believed and were trying to follow God. But what he tells them, it, you could get confused. Here's what he says. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. When I use the word Holy Spirit, don't get weirded out about it. We're not talking, some of us heard Holy Ghost growing up, and that's sort of freaky, right? It's just the presence of God, the Spirit of God. It's how God reveals himself to us right now. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have that spirit of God in you. We call him the Holy Spirit. So I say let your Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants to do. And the Spirit of God gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey, Doug, on your own, without the Spirit of God, you are going to go the wrong directions over and not every single time, but over and over. You're predominantly going to have so much yuck to your life. But the Spirit of God is, is there, and he wants to take you to a different place. Without the Spirit of God, you're going to go to really um, sinful places. That's what you desire. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And he's talking to Christians. You don't get rid of the old nature right away. I mean, it doesn't ever go. You're always fighting that. And the Holy Spirit's inside. They're fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Right? So, so anybody says, well, well, it must be nice to be perfect to be a Christian. Ah, that is the worst theology I've ever heard. How many Christians do you know? Most of you, plenty. How many of them are perfect? None other than me. You haven't met a single one. No, not me, right? So this is my heart. This is the battle. There's two forces constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit and when you submit to the Spirit of God, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. You know, when I first read that, I go, what did he throw in the obligation to the law of Moses for? And it's a Jewish thing, right? Because what was it? What was the law of Moses? It was a list. It was a list of all the things you weren't supposed to do. And then it was a list of behaviors you do to get, to get out of the bad things you did. So you would sacrifice animals and you would you know, pray the certain prayers, all these religious things. So there's the do's and the don't do's, right? And then there's uh, when you do something wrong, then you've got to kill something. And we, now all that was supposed to be a picture for the coming of Christ, but it, became, it, it was a religion. So that's a lot of You're not under an obligation to obey the list anymore or to kill any animals anymore. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So if you just go, Spirit of God, I'm done with you, here's what, he goes, here's where you're going to end up. And it's not meant to be that you're going to do all of them in the same day, (laughs) or all of them ever, but here's the kind of places you go. Whoops, sorry. Sexual, uh, very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures. I'm not going to have a hand raise on that list, okay? That's just the beginning of it. Um, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Right, so here's what you need to catch. Well, many people, when they read something like this, they go, oh, 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 that's the list of all the things I'm not allowed to do anymore. If I want to follow Jesus, I can't do those things. And it becomes, if I do those things, it's like being on the bad list with Santa Claus. So I can't, I, I can't do those things. I want God's gifts. I want God's presence. So you know what you've done when you make a list like that? You've recreated the law of Moses. Only it's your law. You've made a new list. All you've done is made a new list of things you're not supposed to do. And I'm not saying there's not value in going, hey, those things are, I didn't know that was sin, but yeah, that's kind of a sin. But you see the part where it says, and other sins like these? It means when we follow our natural desires without paying attention to the Spirit of God, we end up in really lousy places doing really lousy things. Everybody, including Paul, including me. This is, this is the battle that's, that's, that's within us. And then he goes on. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When he says that sort of life, we think anyone who sins like that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you only pay attention to your sinful nature, you're going to end up doing these kinds of things and being these kind of people. But that sort of life is not what sins you do. It is that life without God. You live your life without God. You live your life without His Holy Spirit and paying attention to it. You're driven by other things than the Spirit of God. You're, going to do, you're, going to be, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God. Not because of the little sins. Those are forgivable. But because it means you're turning your back on God completely. And you're going the other direction. Right? So that sort of life is me without God's direction. He goes on, he says, but the Holy Spirit. So the first one was, if you, hey, if you only pay attention to the sinful nature and leave the Holy Spirit out of it, now he's going to go to what happens with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In other words, if you plant yourself in the ways and the things of God and allow the Spirit of God to inform your life, it, you, it's going to be a byproduct. It's what we call fruit. Trees do not go, i got to grow fruit, i got to grow fruit. They just grow. It's what comes from being planted in the right soil and getting the right amount of moisture and water and feeding, and they grow the fruit. So it says this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Here's the problem with reading this list. Some of you are going, wow, that's an incredible list. I'm not done with it yet. That's an incredible list. I want those things in my life. And others of you are thinking right now, yeah, 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 fruits of the Spirit. Because you've heard it so many times, it's so familiar that, that you don't embrace it anymore. It's become too, too every day. You could do it with, some of you could do this from memory, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against these things. Nobody everywhere on the planet has ever made a law against any of those things. Everybody, no matter what they believe about, no matter what their theology or lack of theology is, Everybody, atheist included, go, that's a really good list. No one ever makes a list. And what he's saying is, when you follow God, when he is the driver of your life, you are going to find yourself becoming more and more those things. If you're planted. It's interesting to me, because when I look at the list, I've heard so many messages where it says, okay, now, we have to be more loving. I've got to be more loving. Today I'm going to be more loving. And it's all about trying to be more loving instead of, instead of being fruitful. Instead of being, you know what, as I follow God, I'm finding out that I just, 
And yes, I pray for it. And yes, I seek it. And yes, I want to be more loving. And I'll try, but, but bottom line to it is I can't make myself more loving. Joy is easier to see. I'm going to be joyful today. It is so hard to wake up and tell yourself, I'm going to be joyful today. Now, if you practice something else, I'm going to practice gratitude today. It leads to joy. If you remember who you are in God today, it leads to joy. It's a byproduct. It is not the fruit itself. I mean, it's not the tree. Right? It's, it's, it's the fruit. And with each of those things, this is not a list of things you're supposed to do and be. It's the list of things God promises you'll become as you devote yourself to Him. Isn't that freeing, by the way, a little bit? That we're not creating a new law of Moses. Here's what you're not supposed to do and here are the things you're supposed to do. And I'm not saying there's not things we're not supposed to do or things we're supposed to do. I'm just saying that's not how we're driven. We're driven by something, something else, right? Gentleness and self-control, there's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. It sounds like this shouldn't be a problem anymore, but he just said that we all have this battle going on inside of us. So what's the problem? Well, we, we put it on the cross, and then those desires get off the cross and crawl back into our lives. Then we nail them up there again. And there's this continual trying to remember the Holy Spirit and put to death our sinful ways, our sinful nature. Make God the driver. Since we are living by the Spirit, since we are being driven by the Spirit, since we want God's Spirit in our lives more than anything else, which may or may not be true for you, right, or me on any given day, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow, submit to the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And as we do, we'll get the fruit. And as we do, we'll put those other things to death. And as we do, we'll find a life that's worth living. And we'll live better, more abundant, fruitful lives. And our funerals will be just that much better at the end. We won't be there. But it still will be leaving good things behind us. And the question comes down, here's the battle. Am I going to be self-directed or God-directed? And I wish I could tell you that you can make up your mind today on that and for the rest of your life you'll never have trouble with that. It doesn't work that way. This is continual battleground in my heart. Right? The me-directed life leads to sins like these. That's what Paul's saying. This is not the list to see if you're going to heaven or hell. This is not the list to see if you should feel guilty today. It's just where you're going to go if you go by yourself and it's going to destroy you and it's going to give you a very lousy life. But the God-directed life, he says, you're going to experience the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The very people you want to be around and closest to, the very people you'll trust the most, the people that you'll have the best time with, have those things true about them. And if you should have put on there, and other good stuff like this, that's what he should have said to parallel it up, but I didn't write the Bible. I can only report it. All right. So it's love of self. Is that my driver? Or is it love for God? and love for others. Now, there's a little bit of a caveat here because there's somebody who will say, love of self. Doug, we're supposed to love ourselves, aren't we? And the answer is, of course. Jesus said that. He said, hey, someone said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, strength, mind, everything you got put into it. And he said, oh, and the second commandment is love others. How? As we love ourselves. So, yeah, I'm not talking about low self-esteem stuff. Of course we're supposed to love ourselves. But, We're not supposed to let our love for self be the driver of our lives. We've got to embrace God as the driver and learn to give our lives away, right? See, great funerals 
never come from self-directed lives. Because look where it takes you. Look where it takes me. By the way, on that list, you can just kind of do a quick mental review. How many of you go, I have tasted that list of where the sinful nature takes you? I've tasted some of those things. Put your hands up. I've tasted it. Shouldn't be hand not up in the room. Some of you are just so lazy, you can't even lift your hands up. <laughs> it's not that you don't know. All of us, we know it's true. We know where it, it, it takes us. So great funerals never come from self-directed lives. We, we can't drive our own lives and expect to get to where we want to go. And, and great funerals never come to people where their love for themselves is what drives them. Right? And that's the question is, if you could see the rest of the picture, who's, who's driving? What's driving our lives? Now, I told you that you can make a change. I want to tell you what it took for me to make a change. It took me to realize three things. Three things I had to admit were true for me to embrace God's direction, for me to even want God's direction. Here's the first one. The first one is I'm not smart enough to determine my own purpose. I don't suffer from lack of self-esteem. I don't think I'm a a slow-witted person. But I am not smart enough to determine my own purpose. Right? I, I had to find that through God. I had to find it prayerfully. Saying, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you, I, I want to want what you want, at least. Right? So here's what I can guarantee you. I would not be here today if I was the driver of my life. Because from the time I was a little child, I always dreamed of never being a pastor. Right? I mean, my parents would hey, what do you think about being a pastor? No. No, that's the last thing I ever want to do. And I became a youth pastor. I didn't want to do that. I mean, I barely had to talk myself into it. It took a long time to, for lots of reasons. I never pictured myself doing what we're doing today. Right? But I have like 100% confidence this is where God wants me, doing what I'm doing right now. And I'm, and I'm, I'm passionate about it because I think it's what God wants me to do. Does it mean I always do it great? Of course not. Does it mean sin's not a part of the equation? Of course not. There's a battle taking place in my heart all the time. But I had to come to a point where I realized I'm not smart enough to determine my own purpose. What would I be doing if I wasn't doing this, if I just let my, my wants drive it? I don't know. Probably using the same kinds of gifts, but not for this. Right? But I'm not that smart. The second thing was, I'm not big enough to be my own purpose. Right? I the idea of letting me be the driving factor of my life, whatever is good for me, it sounds good at one level, but then I realize that's kind of making me my own God. And I'm not that good a cause. I'm not that big. I need something bigger than me. And I'm going to say some things that don't sound right. My marriage is not big enough. But I'm very pro my marriage. I'm very devoted to my marriage. But it comes out of my God devotion, right? You've seen enough people cheat on their marriages to, to go, well, I guess they weren't that devoted. You need something bigger. My family, I love my family, not big enough. Not big enough to become my purpose and my cause. Living in a comfortable home, not big enough. I need something bigger. Those, all those things are fine and good, but not to be my driver, not to be what 
gets me out of bed in the morning, not enough to, to say, man, I want to do something great, right? So I'm not big enough to be my own purpose. I need something, someone bigger. And I'm not wise enough to know what will fill my heart. If I was, I could have saved myself all kinds of challenges because I've done so many things trying to fill my heart that were so dumb. Right? I told many of you, if you were here this summer, you heard the story, but I went to my 40th high school reunion, and I knew it was going to be an interesting affair. They all are. But Duluth East um, reunion, I went to this dinner, and this gal comes up to me, and one of the reasons you don't want to go to a 40th reunion is you don't remember people's names. <laughs> and they remember you, Right? So she comes up to me and she goes, Doug, I'm, oh, name tag. And um, <laughs> we start talking, oh, yeah, how are you? N- no clue. <laughs> right? And um, she said, so I hear you're, this is after a little bit of small talk, I hear you're a pastor. Yeah. She goes, I don't want to offend you. And I said, go for it. I'm a pastor. Everybody offends me. She goes, <laughs> she said, uh, well, Dad, from high school, I would have said you're the last person to ever become a pastor. And I, and I said, I totally understand what you're saying. I'm not offended at all. I said, my guess is what you saw in high school was a kid who got pretty good grades, who came from a pretty good family home situation, who looked like he was having a ball all the time. And I said, and what you didn't see was the kid who went to bed with an empty heart. And a kid who went to bed not knowing what life was about. And a kid who was being driven by all the wrong things. And I said, that emptiness is what drove me to God. That emptiness made me look. You ask me why I'm a pastor? Because I'm not empty anymore. Because something else is driving my life. Right? And it comes back to this. I'm not wise enough to know what will fill my heart. And if I don't find, for me, the answer is God. If I don't find him and his ways, I'm going to be trying one thing after the other, wishing it would fill me up, right? So Jesus talked about this. He called himself the good shepherd. But by the way, which I find a little bit like overly familiar and a little bit, I don't know the right word. I just don't like it like I used to. And I, and I, and I always say, it's the Bible, Doug. You can't say it out loud. Too bad I just said it. I don't like it because if he's a shepherd, then I'm a sheep. And I'm not that impressed by sheep. Right? Oh, bah, bah, we just follow you wherever you go, you know. <laughs> so that's not his point. If, so if you hear that and you go, boy, that's condescending, don't get stuck there because I think it feels that way a little bit to us, right? In that day, it would have made perfect sense. They would have said to the good shepherd, you're the leader, you're the provider, you're the caretaker, you're the leader, you're the one who tells us what's smart and what's dumb because we're sheep, right? So Jesus, in, in, in John 10, verse 10, he says this, the thief's purpose, and he's kind of alluding to Satan at least, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy you. The thief hates the sheep, right? And he goes, but I came. I'm the good shepherd. I came. My purpose is to give them, the sheep, those who follow him, a rich and satisfying life, a full life. Life and life more abundantly, as some translations say that, an abundant life, right? And I'm just not smart enough to figure out what will fill me up, but I find when I follow the good shepherd and say bah and follow, he fills me up. So here's the question. Who's driving? That's the question of the day. 
this is the foundation of a well-lived life. This is going to make a huge difference. When God is driving, you can expect increasing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The amazing thing is the more you follow Jesus, the more people are going to see those things in you. And it won't be a bunch of hard work. Yes, you should pursue those things, but it'll come, right? When God is driving, we are on our way to a great funeral that we won't even attend. But it's going to be great. And we'll be good to be gone. And we'll be good to go because it's not about how I die. It's about how I live. Um, remember I told you it can change? Yeah, I don't want you to lose the moment. You have to ask, what is driving my life? What's really driving my life? If my grandfather was taking your picture, what would he bring up to see that's you on your face? What's driving your life? If you don't like it, if you go, I need something bigger, I need something more, I need something wiser, I need something smarter, I need, I need something that will fill my life, you can change it. Not on your own, but God has said, I'll help you. You can change what drives your life. I did. I know. You have that in your mind right now? Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I would like to pray for you. But you're going to have to do something brave, bold, and courageous. I would like to invite you, if you go, I want an adjustment. I want a change in what's driving my life. I'm going to invite you just to stand up. We're not going to judge you. We're here to cheer you on and support you. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand up. And once you're done standing, then um, I'm going to pray for you as you're standing. So one, two, three, this is your chance. Okay. If you're sitting near someone, you know, you can, you can just kind of pray for them, you know, privately between you and God who's standing right now. When we're done praying, just keep standing for a moment. God, I am. Um, well, I pray for all of us, of course, that we would know your leadership. But I pray for those who are standing today who say, I need a change, God. Because I think we can all say together that we're not smart enough. We're not big enough. And we don't know how to fill up without you. We want you to take us to the places you want us to be. We want you to fill us up with the stuff we're supposed to fill up on. And we want a dream from you that's worth pursuing. We want you to be our shepherd. And we want to follow. So God, I pray for those people who are standing up, would you make that true in their lives more and more each day and give them a sense of, of progress. Give that to all of us in Christ's name. Amen.